I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society. To discuss everything from their latest endeavors to career highlights and early beginnings. Intimate, in-depth talk with pioneering talents and fascinating folk. Discussing the stuff that matters to them and how they scaled the slippery slopes of success. I always said I'd never get my tits out on television. No, that's not me. It's the joke presenter Julia Bradbury makes in her documentary Breast Cancer and Me, bringing levity to an extremely difficult moment as she reveals to the camera team the results of a mastectomy and breast reconstruction. The TV presenter, best known for her ITV walking shows and fronting BBC One's Countryfile, was diagnosed with a five-centimetre tumour in her left breast last July. She underwent a mastectomy and had two lymph glands removed in October. In an unflinching documentary for ITV, she shares that experience and Julia Bradbury joins me now. Uh, Julia, it's an amazing watch, really painful i mean more so for you obviously but 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 you know you really don't hold back do you what's the reaction been to the documentary so far uh hi mariella thank you well the reaction has been incredible actually i i, I um I, what's been most interesting not surprisingly a lot of breast cancer sufferers and a lot of women have messaged me and sent me emails and and wanted to connect with me because of it and have said thank you for raising awareness. Um, But I think what's been more surprising for me is the number of men and other members of the family who've been in contact to say thank you for showing the psychological and emotional impact of something like this, because everybody in your world, I think, is just very frightened and doesn't quite know how to react when you get a cancer diagnosis and when you go through the various awful treatments that exist for cancer. And they are all pretty awful and brutal, regardless of uh, how, how different they all are and how different all of our cancers are. The treatment is brutal. I'm presuming that that you were pretty frightened. Uh, Well, I mean, I know you were because I've watched the documentary. And yet your response was to bring the cameras into the experience. Why do you think you did that? It's something I discussed, actually, with um, my friend Rachel Inez Lumsden, who actually execs, co-execs the documentary. So 
we have worked together before on previous series uh, and we both said after we'd finished this documentary, we both said it was the documentary that neither of us wanted to make. Um, it wasn't an easy decision, but because I had um, trust and respect for Rachel and I've worked with the 2-4 team, um, I was certainly confident that there was nothing, there would be nothing in the documentary that I couldn't say yes or no to. Um, I wanted it to be as candid and as open as it was, and I was happy to let the cameras in because I had already gone so far talking about the lump that I discovered in my left breast two years ago. I'd been open about that. I'd written about that in several newspapers and my experience of having a mastectomy, which came out as an all clear. And I wrote about the relief of that and what it's like to be in the system and what we go through during the screening process. So I had already started on that pathway of being open about it, as I have done about my IVF and about endometriosis, because I'm a genuine believer that if your platform can be any good for any can be can be used for any good, then then you should do you should do that. And breast cancer is something that will affect one in seven women. So we need to spread awareness. I had discovered it myself. It was a lump. It was a self check. So that was an important message to get across. And um, it was up to Kelly Close, the director, actually, which direction she took this documentary into. And I think you'll probably agree that what we've we've done is show much more of the emotional trauma and the psychological impact of a cancer diagnosis. There are a lot of films out there which em which emphasize the treatment and what it's like to go through the treatment, which, as I've already said, is is pretty, pretty dire. But I think this to show what it actually feels like from the moment that you hear the words you've got cancer. Um, I thought that that was an important thing to share because I know that it's something that every single, not just woman, but every single person who's been diagnosed with cancer, I now fully understand the fear and all the mixed emotions that go, um, go with it when you, when you hear those words. Indeed, and I wondered if in, in retrospect, it, you know, it was actually cathartic for you. I mean, yes, absolutely. It brings us all into the experience um, in a really profound way. But I wondered if it was also cathartic for you to keep going, doing something, rather than slipping into the sort of emotional quagmire that such a terrifying diagnosis would have created. I think it definitely helped. Yes, I am the type of person I... I as soon as I got my diagnosis, I phoned as many friends. And unfortunately, as I'm sure you have, I've got lots of friends who've been in this situation. I've lost some friends to breast cancer as well. So I spoke to friends who had been through a breast cancer diagnosis. Uh, I spoke to as many doctor friends as I could um, and got as many medical opinions as I could as well. I really started to deep dive into the research of breast cancer. And immediately I was completely just blown away by the variety of just breast cancers, the different numbers and types of breast cancer. And that, of course, immediately means all of our treatment is very different. So then I started diving into those rabbit warrens about what my cancer was, what sort of treatment um, would be available to me and what were the alternatives. Um, and that whole level of research alongside making something that I thought would be helpful for other people was also selfishly incredibly helpful for me as well. You said you told friends, but I know you held back from telling your mum. Why was that? My mum, who's actually staying with me uh, this week, we haven't seen each other for a few weeks, and uh, she wanted to come and see me immediately after the documentary aired. Um, and we, we were in separate parts of the country, so sadly we couldn't. So she came as quickly as possible so we could have a hug. We're very, very close. She is a warm, 
Greek mama. I call her my mama Moo. I've made a series with her. So some people have seen her and know, know her character a little bit. Um, she is a real worrier. She, she lives for her children. I have an older sister called Gina. Um, and she ha has just always been a very engaged as my dad has as well, but a very engaged mum. but she takes worrying to a new level. And if there isn't one thing that she could be worrying about, there'll be another thing that she'd be, should be worrying about. So as I've got a little bit older and the same with my sister, we've learned how to manage her worry, which is not to tell her too much until you know all the information. Otherwise, she just runs off in a whole new direction and I knew that it would be deeply upsetting for her um, I knew that she would be feeling every inch of my agony with me and I wanted to protect her she's 83 she's been through her own cancer she's a survivor of bowel cancer so she's an incredible personality but it was a, a, a little bit of me trying to protect her there and also tell her and tell my my children, obviously very different conversations, but tell them when I knew as much as I could know at that stage. It's interesting you mention Gina, who I know uh, is your manager. She moved to Los Angeles with you hundreds of years ago. <laughs> yeah. when we were both young uh, when you went, well, you're younger than me though, uh, when, when you went to LA to, to, to work. And, and, and there's a striking moment in, in, in the documentary when Gina says, it's not fair, it should be me. I'm the one who drinks and does all the wrong things. Um, first of all, I wondered how common that reaction is. And secondly, because you are... You are the sort of opposite, you know, you're super healthy and you're always out in nature, as we know from watching your programs and things. Was there a sense from you of how can this happen to me? I'm I'm healthy. You know what? That's that's a, a really interesting question, because I I don't blame myself for the cancer, but it has been a wake up call for me. Everybody says, oh, but you're so healthy and you walk and you know you're slim. When I now analyze my life, which of course this a cancer diagnosis makes you analyze everything mm -hmm. and, and relook at your, your entire being. Um, actually, I wasn't that healthy. Um, I didn't prioritize my mental health in terms of making sure that I started or ended my day in a calm, peaceful way. I'm a very energetic person. I throw myself into my work. I just have always put that down to being high energy and being resilient and being passionate about what I do. Actually, I mean, I've done something subsequently called uh, the Dutch test, which is a comprehensive, comprehensive hormone test mm -hmm. because I am deep diving into my own personal medical state right now. And it showed that my rising cortisol levels are through the roof. That's stress so, hormones, isn't it? Stress, the stress mm. hormone. Um, so th this, your, your, your uh, sort of a comfortable range would be between 50 and 80%. And I was over 200%. Oh, my goodness. Now, Obviously, this was post my this is post my mastectomy. So there will be levels of stress that are still in my body because of the trauma that I've gone through. But even registering that and taking that into account, it's something that I will do again in a few months. My stress levels were through the roof. I wasn't very good at managing my day. Like many of us juggling children, I've gone through the menopause, um, not really 
taking the best care of myself because if you're fine and you're getting on and you're succeeding at whatever it is you want to succeed at you don't really stop and think and go actually am i really taking care of myself and i will say right now my diet was not healthy and i've done some posts about this on social media and i've had a little bit of pushback from people saying oh you're you're saying that it's you know now it's our fault we should be blaming ourselves for cancer i'm not saying that at all you, we all are on a very very individual journey what i'm saying is i've looked back and i have noticed my stress levels were high i haven't been managing my time very well exercise was a bit sporadic and not very disciplined and not the right kind of exercise for my age. Now you're doing all this fantastic work in the world of menopause right now. You've written a book about it. You will know as well as I do. When you're a woman of a certain age, you change the way you exercise because you don't want to be rising, raising your cortisol levels. You want to be exercising and getting all the benefits, but not the stresses. Um, all of this I had ignored and I was a sugar addict. I would have 11s, I would dunk my tea biscuits, I would have donuts with the kids after work, I could eat chocolate pudding after dinner because I don't put on weight. And I wasn't just having the odd treat, it was just a way of life for me. And again, I'm not saying this gave me cancer, but a combination of things. One of the things that you can get the oncologists all to agree about, and it's incredibly difficult to get the medical world to agree about anything, but they all agree that diet, lifestyle and alcohol consumption have an impact on cancer. Mm -hmm. They can promote cancers or they can encourage cancers, however you want to call it. And it's not about you being guilty or me being guilty. I don't think we all really just pay enough attention to some of these things. Well, it's interesting, and thank you for mentioning the menopause work, but the other thing that, that doing all of that campaigning um, has opened my eyes to is the you know terrible situation when it comes to women's health in general. You know, uh, uh, medical testing on, on women, you know, drug testing on, on women and, and being part of those medical trials only became a thing in the last sort of 25 years which you know is a seems an absolute disgrace that we've been judged in terms of how men men's bodies work rather than how women's bodies work and i wondered having gone through this experience whether there are things that you think should have been different and that could have perhaps given you early warning um of something like this breast cancer in terms of, I mean, you know, there's a test, for example, isn't there, that, 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 yeah. that told you when, when, when you did find the lump, that told you that you were very susceptible. Well, there are a couple of things I, that I'm keen to mention here. First of all, uh, as a result of the documentary, I was asked to do a message for number 10, talking about the state of women's health and trying to encourage um, more activity and more funding in that area. So I'm very pleased about that and I hope it leads to something. Um, there are several things I didn't know that um, made a difference to my breast cancer diagnosis. Um, and they're all big topics on, on their own. So I'll mention them and then you can pick up on what you think is relevant. But mm. I have dense breasts. Um, that makes it very difficult on mammograms to spot cancer. Mm. Uh, I didn't know things like your height and how thin you are and how late you have children all play a role on, in your breast cancer risk. So I had children late in life. Like that me. means, yeah, that means I've, I'm at higher risk. I have dense breasts. That means I'm at higher risk. I'm tall. That means I'm at higher risk. I didn't know any of these things. Now, of course, there's nothing we can do about some of those things or any of those, necessarily any of those things. But there was a test that I did during the course of the documentary, which you would have seen me talk about with Professor Gareth Evans. And it's mm -hmm. called a SNPs test, single nucleotide polymorphisms. So basically, they're fragments of our DNA 
we can all, and particularly women, can have this test done and it can accurately predict your risk of breast cancer. So if I had had that test done in my 30s or 40s, then I would not have had, I wouldn't be sitting here now talking to you about this documentary because I wouldn't have had a mastectomy. I would have discovered my lump, straight away I would have been on a watch list and perhaps now I'd be talking to you about a lumpectomy or I would have, there would have been other options available to me much earlier on. The SNPs test would cost the NHS about 50 pounds and breast cancer treatment per woman in the NHS costs about 20,000 pounds. We are woefully inadequate at looking after women women and their health in this country. The menopause, our hormones, things like endometriosis. I've got endometriosis. Average detection time for endometriosis, seven or eight years. It's appalling. We are not looking after 50% of the population and a key part of our workforce and the caring team uh, of our country well enough at all. And indeed, endometriosis often uh, treated with hysterectomy rather than the knowledge that the woman is beginning to go through menopause and that's why she's having irregular or heavy periods and so on as well, all contributing to this sense of a a kind of absence of knowledge about women's health, which just seems extraordinary in the 21st century. We're going to carry on talking. You told me to stop you if there was anything you said that was irrelevant, but I'm afraid (laughs) all of it is deeply relevant. Um, But we're going to come back to all of this in just a moment. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Julia let's go back to the the documentary or at least your your personal story for for a moment um because obviously a, a single mastectomy involves losing your breast and you talk very powerfully in the documentary about how that is an emotional loss as much as it is a physical one and you might imagine that the idea of getting rid of what you might perceive as a sort of diseased part of your body would be something you'd be enthusiastically you know pushing to have 
done at that point, but actually you were in mourning even before the operation. Uh, there's a really poignant scene where you're just sort of caressing the space that you know is is upcoming. Yeah, it is very, very emotional. And, and I think what's so disturbing about a mastectomy, a double mastectomy, a single mastectomy is once you hear that, that you have the cancer um, and then when you hear, when you hear that you're, the, the treatment is something like a mastectomy, you have absolutely no idea what this amputation means. Um, you don't know what you're going to be left with. You don't know what it's going to feel like. You don't know about the level of pain you're going to go through. Uh, alongside all this other whirlwind of information that's that's heading your way about about the type of cancer that you have. So the emotions are very, very high. And I did feel a sense of mourning and sadness. Of course, as you mentioned, I wanted the cancer out of me. And that's why I have I have tried to view this entire experience in as positive a light as possible and to take all of the good things that I can out of a, a really horrible situation. But there have been some fortunate things on my side. Um, a, a friend of mine over in South Africa who is, um, she's a functional medicine doctor and she actually had a double mastectomy uh, many, many years ago. She gave me the best bit of advice, which was to say goodbye to your breast, say goodbye to your boobs, thank thank your your, your bosoms <laughs> thank for them for their service. Yeah, <laughs> for their years of service. Sounds awful, doesn't it? But there you go. Um, it was it was and it was she was so candid and so wonderful about it. And having been through it, I, I obviously trusted her and do trust her implicitly when it comes to to that kind of emotional advice. And I feel very grateful that I've had such emotional support. Um, but I, I didn't know whether I would be able to have uh, an implant. I didn't know. I didn't. I just didn't know anything about it. So as it as it happens, I know that I'm incredibly fortunate because of the location of my very large tumor, which is sort of based low, um, low and left on my left bosom. Mm. Um, I, that's why I had to have the mastectomy and not a lumpectomy. So they basically they scrape away all of your tissue. They lift everything up. They scrape away all of your tissue, get rid of the cancer, the tumor, and then they put you back together as best they can. And because of the position, I could have what's called a skin saving and nipple saving mastectomy. I, of course, didn't realize at the time how how fortunate I was to be in that position mm. because mm. the reason why some ladies are flat is the type of cancer means that they have to have chemo or radiation so they can't have an immediate reconstruction and sometimes where they have their tumor cut away their skin there isn't enough skin for them to then have an implant put in afterwards yeah. so sometimes they have to go through this this awful sort of a dis uncomfortable stage where their skin is stretched to make way for an implant um, sometimes that just isn't possible which is why you have some of us with with flat boobs and some with 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 bosoms and some with prosthetics and, and some with permanent prosthetics like mine. It's, it's such a mixed picture um, because of that. But regardless of what you have, the process itself is absolutely devastating. It is it is taking away a part of you. Now, I'm I, I have I have my nipple and strangely, and I'll, I think we're allowed to mention this. My, my nipple still gets erect, uh -huh. I, but I can't but I can't feel anything. So I can be touching my bosom or somebody else could be touching my bosom and my nipple could could get erect so, or even in the cold so shower. So the nerve ends are still working. Yes, but there's no sensation. There's no there's no fun there anymore. Oh dear. Well, I'm very sorry to hear that. I I I did. There's two questions I want to ask you before you go. Uh, one being, um, 
and I hope this isn't prying too hard, but how did you find your lump? Because as you describe it, 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 it was buried so much that it was difficult to be found on, on, a, on a scan or on a... Um, oh, God, my head's gone blank. Mammogram. Mammogram, thank you Mammogram very much. Mammogram or ultrasound. Yeah, brain fog. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so h- how did you actually find it? Because I think a lot of women are, are you know, feel a little bit, you know, awkward about the whole thing of looking for lumps. I mean, I found one once. Luckily, it turned out to be benign. But that's going to lead to the second question I wanted to ask you. But so, tell me about. Okay, so f- first question it. is: I I do and I did regularly check my breasts, and I found my lump myself. It was, it was very easy to feel. Uh, so I could feel it to touch, but harder but, to see. But mm. when I when I then went for a mammogram to get it checked out. One doctor described it as when you have dense breasts, you're looking for a snowball in a snowstorm. So although something could be seen and we knew something was there because we could feel it and I had pointed it out, the first analysis was that it was a a cluster of benign cysts. But keep an eye on it. That's what I was told. And potentially uh, leapfrog my mammogram and have an extra one just to do that. And that is what I did. I had the extra mammogram, still didn't see it. Still came away with an all clear. It was accidental and I kept on probing and it was an accidental ultrasound when I said it's painful when I touch it. That is what led to the the ultimate discovery and a biopsy within a few days. And again, then after that, a a cancer diagnosis. Which goes to show check, check and check again. And don't take no for an answer, which is the other thing I've discovered with the whole menopause campaigning is too many women get turned away and don't feel they have the the, the currency to to, to kind of demand the things that they need. The thing that really... And ask your your GP if they they know about the menopause. It's a bit... And know about hormones if they... If, if it's something that they have studied separately. But often because not, TVs, Julia. Often no, not. that's right. Um, so ask. And if they haven't, maybe find one that has. Indeed, or demand one that has. Yeah. But, the, but the other thing that I've, I found particularly moving, and I think any parent would have in the documentary, is this idea, and I said it, it would hark back to, I discovered this lump in, in breast tissue, but further up under my arm uh, years ago. But it, I found it when I was on holiday and I couldn't get back home for 10 days to have it checked. And I spent the whole 10 days thinking about how I would say goodbye to my children. You know, and I talk about sort of fast forwarding yourself to the doomsday scenario. But I know that that, that was something that you struggled with and, and, and still do. It's, it's an incredibly emotive thing. How did you it's, deal with that thought? It was when I had my, the biopsy and that's when I knew something had been discovered on the ultrasound. I'd had these two clear, clear mammograms, but I knew that something had been discovered a couple of years before. And when I was in there for the biopsy, which is all a pretty horrible process as well, where they basically puncture flesh, puncture some of the tissue out of you. I had to um, fast forward that bit. I, I knew that something was wrong. Yes, it was. It was. Uh, and, and that was the moment I cried my first set of tears thinking, oh, my gosh, my children. And it was the first thing I thought about. Not I'm dying or I'm going to die. Oh, my gosh, no, I'm not going to see my children live. I'm not going to see my children grow up. And it's something that I grapple with every day. And I just am grateful for every single moment. And I am on an absolute mission now to spread awareness. And I'm doing my own set of research about myself and how to prevent reoccurrence and there are lots of things out there but I would advise people look far and wide unfortunately our medical system is working at it's so strained right now 
um, you, there's a lot of work that you have to do yourself. And women have been B-class citizens for, for way too long. I'm going to ask you something uh, banal to close, if you will, you know, because we know you so well from all those amazing, enthusiastic nature films. And I wondered if at all nature was a solace during this period that was all about sterile environments and tubes and injections and, you know, fear. Mariella, every single day I have a moment, if not a long half hour or an hour, um, bit of time in nature. From the moment I came home after my stay in hospital, I have been outside every single day, come rain or shine. Even in the early days when I could barely walk and I was shuffling, uh, I was I was in the garden. I was looking at things. I I, I look out over a beautiful horse horse chestnut tree out of my bathroom, which I say thank you to every day because I love watching uh, watching the changes. I. 100% believe that nature is an absolute essential element of all of our lives. We should all somehow connect to Mother Earth. And I don't mean in a woo-woo way. I mean, because we have evolved as human beings to understand nature and our lives have become so removed from it that we, we're missing a huge part of our DNA by not engaging with nature at some level. And can I just ask you finally what the prognosis is now? Are you recovered all clear? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm physically uh, nearly there, I would say. I'm exercising every day and I'm doing my yoga and physically I'm back. I, the SNPs test has revealed that I am at a higher risk of reoccurrence than the average woman. It puts me in the top five or six percent of the population. However, my risk is not so intense that it has been suggested I have a double mastectomy straight away. And I am now very, very busy looking at managing that risk and seeing what it is I have to do, whether it is the drugs that are more normally uh, prescribed. So hormonal drugs such as uh, aromatase inhibitors or tamoxifen, that type of thing, um, or whether there are another combination of different drugs and supplements and lifestyle changes that I can do to keep the cancer at bay. And the way I look at it, I'm a positive person. So although I have an elevated risk, I have a 78% chance of not getting cancer again. And I like those odds. I like those odds, though it is frustrating that there you are having to do your own research into something that could affect 50% of the population. Julia Bradbury, it's been an absolute privilege to talk to you. Thank you very much for making that very brave film. You can watch Breast Cancer and Me on the ITV Hub. Thanks for listening to Mariella Meets with me, Mariella Frostrup. There'll be more from the podcast next week, so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my programme every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4, on Times Radio. Catch you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.